Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there, and welcome to the show. I'm going to speak to Phil Hay in just a second. It's Dan here from the Square Ball. Before we do all that and get the view from the press box, just a reminder that the show is brought to you by West Yorkshire Electrical, a fully accredited electrician, specialists in renewable uh, renewables who serve West Yorkshire and beyond. Whole of Yorkshire will even stray outside the boundaries of Yorkshire if you ask them nicely. Solar panel installation, battery storage, we've got CCTV, school contracting as well, huge part of the business testing and inspection works for your home and your business and we have finance available for home and business work as well if it's got wires they will work with it uh, wyelectrical.co.uk for details search west yorkshire electrical on your socials hello phil uh, our monday get together then to debrief the weekend good morning yeah not a great weekend for leeds united was it it's not been a great week we'll jump off from this point if we can your match report on um, on the athletic you finish one paragraph by suggesting that Leeds might be in danger this week anyway. I've been slightly formulaic. So should we pull on that thread a little bit and uh, and explore, see where it takes us after that draw with Coventry? It's funny you saying bad weekend because it wasn't as if they played, you know, especially poorly against Coventry and, and should have won it towards the end. But they are definitely in this strange position at the moment where they're a long way clear of seventh, given that we're only halfway through the season, a really sizable gap there but also still a long way back from Ipswich and Leicester. And the scenario is that Leeds have to win every game um, if they're, they're chasing the top two. And and it's impossible to do that. Um, it's it's never going to happen. And as I was saying in the, the piece this morning, drop points hate they hurt the teams who are chasing more than they do the, the teams who, who are being chased. And it was, I think, the, the, the most striking part of what Farker said afterwards was his comment that he, he really didn't want to focus on any positives that he could take out of the game on Saturday. He wanted the players to feel the disappointment. He said you could see in his body language and in the you know the, the tone of his comments that he was really deflated by that result. And the reason is because he knows that if Leeds are going to make a dent in this gap that the top two have, it's gonna to have to it's gonna to have to happen soon. You know, this is gonna to have to start quickly if there's gonna be a turnaround. And it was a definite opportunity on Saturday after what had gone on it. Portman Road between Ipswich and, and Norwich and it, it slipped through through his fingers. In terms of being formulaic, it, it's you'll find um that some quotes from Farker very recently where he's spoken about the fact when it comes to goals, he isn't getting many from set pieces and he isn't getting many bangers from long range. He isn't getting many goals, you know, similar to, to Coventry's where it's a 
a, you know, high cross hooked into the box. Somebody gets between two centre-backs and, and nods it in. They have had the odd finish like that. But they do tend to score the same sort of goal over and over again. And I have to say, those goals tend to be pretty impressive when they come. You know, even some of those on, on Saturday, it's a lovely ball from Ruta to, to pick that run out. And another great finish from Somerville, who's, who's properly found his finishing touch this season. That's that's 10 for him so far. But I think for, for Farker, it's been hard to find a huge amount of variation this week. This was a week where I think, and we spoke about this before um, the Coventry game, where I kind of felt like the, the further reaches of his squad were going to have to come to the fore a little bit. I, I did think they looked a bit flat and a bit lacking in spark against Sunderland. I think there was a little bit of that again against Coventry. I wouldn't go so far as to say that Leeds didn't have enough of that game to win it. I think they did. But it wasn't as vibrant as it can be. And I think Farker would admit himself that the changes he's made, that the players who he's looked to, you know, from the bench, haven't made a, a particularly significant impact, haven't come up with big goals, big assists when he when he needs them this week. But again, it, it is it feels a little bit like splitting hairs because you, you have to go back every time to the reality of what Leeds have done this season, which has been good. You know, it has been good. And they are just in this odd position where Farker would like to accentuate the positives of what's gone on with the team so far. And he, he would like to to give them, I think, a, a lot of praise for the way they've played, the way they've performed for the results in general. But it runs the risk in doing that of sounding a little bit like you're resigning yourself to the playoffs. Um, and I think you could see that in what he said on Saturday, that he didn't want to come out and say to everybody, you know, actually we're in really good shape and we've had a good season because he knows that he would like to close that gap and he knows that the gap has to start closing soon if it's going to do so at all. Is it too obvious to say that it's a formula that works when it works, but then when it doesn't, it doesn't? What you know, what more is there to it than that? No, I, th- I think that's probably right. And it's not unusual. I mean, you, a lot of coaches these days base the football on set philosophies and consistency in the way that they play. And and I actually think it's a really positive thing. I think you better teams tend to be teams who do have a fairly fixed or firm identity and and who know what they're about. For one thing, and you'll if you speak to players, they'll say this, players find it easier to perform when they properly understand and appreciate the system that they're in and they know how it's supposed to work and it's not confused. And it's it, you know, there's there's a bit of clarity there about about what the approach is. And you definitely see that in Farkas football. Um, there's there's no doubt at all. But I think there were parts of Saturday where it did feel as if they were trying to get through Coventry and get by Coventry with the, the kind of same ploy that they always use and the same ploy that, that Farker always uses. And again, if, you, if you're being fair, it has worked more often than not. You know, they, they've won a lot of games this season. They're, they're sitting nicely in the division. But... Third place is a difficult sell in the championship, isn't it? Nobody really thanks you for third place if they think that more might be on offer. And in Leeds, nobody thanks you for third place because they know what that means. You know, they know what what that incurs. They know the risk that comes with with being in the playoffs. I think when we spoke before Sunderland, certainly before Coventry, we were talking about the the risk and the impact of a poor on a form for Leeds because they are already a distance away from the top two. And, you know, you have a week like that where... You take nothing from Sunderland, you you take a point from Coventry when you feel like those games may easily have yielded six. And it and it does kind of it does pop the balloon slightly. I mean, a few people said to me after the draw between Ipswich and Norwich, you know, Ipswich will be disappointed with that. I think they'll be disappointed that they didn't win the game because they were the better team and they had most of the chances. But those games, derbies, tend to be quite chaotic. They tend to be very emotional, they tend to be quite unpredictable. And I just felt at, at full time that Ipswich would probably be quite philosophical about that fixture and say, do you know what, that's not a terrible result, actually. 
One of the things that's coming up in, I think it's in your reporting and that of the other Leeds journos who are, who are covering the team more closely, is the is the use of the bench, because you mentioned it before then, perhaps the lack of impact that we're getting from the bench. And it's been observed about how late Farker is making substitutions. He barely moves before 70 minutes. Is there an argument again, or an increased argument maybe for uh, for using subs a little bit earlier, Phil. I don't know what we're doing is always here. We're always commenting with the aid of hindsight. Um, yeah, we say, sure. uh, you know, a thing didn't work, so therefore, you know, it uh, it should have been done differently. It's it's yeah. the, it's the I, argument that always comes up with football, isn't it? But what do you think to the sub? Surely, he should be rolling the dice a little bit earlier sometimes, just to try and uh, change the way things are going. Or is it that games are so balanced that you don't want to upset that balance? He's certainly not wrong about the scrutiny, and I think everything is having to be scrutinised in quite minute detail because if you're being if you're being reasonable about what's going on, they're quite a difficult side to criticise Leeds, aren't they? You know, like difficult to criticise, but still going to draw criticism because they aren't exactly where they want to be. And I think increasingly where people feel like they, they could be or perhaps should have been. I still think it was a, a really big ask to expect Leeds to finish top two this season. But undoubtedly, they do have a good squad and they do have very, very good players. It is absolutely later rather than sooner with Farker when it comes to substitutions. That's you know that's the way he's been looking at it. But I think more and more I, I've started to get the sense of him having the most inherent trust in quite a small core of players. And I think that was shown by the fact that it wasn't really freshened up at Sunderland um, in terms of the starting lineup. It wasn't freshened up um, against Coventry either. It was the same. 11 and and that was uh, one to watch wasn't it after the Sunderland game was but will he mix it up a little bit for Coventry will he give fresher legs a go will he try and get Nonto on the pitch you know um, change his midfield whatever else and and there wasn't really any of that and and again and I wrote about this on Friday the, the strategy towards the end was you back three Ampadu in front of them and loads and loads of attacking players on the pitch um, which does feel a little bit like a, a Hail Mary but there is absolutely no pretending that that chance for Dan James um, in the 96th minute or whatever it was, was an absolute gift. That to win the game is exactly what you're you're looking for. And I still think people are at this point trying to work out how it was that that kind of feathered past the right post. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was a guilt-edged chance, wasn't it? I haven't yeah. actually watched it back for the sake of my own mental health. I didn't bother to um, indulge in any of the... I've, I've not seen any aspect of that game back over the weekend I've deliberately avoided it and particularly that moment because it was I mean I can recall exactly where I was sat what I did and it was head in hands in the east stand there at Ellen Road we were right behind it you know where we sit in the west stand directly behind James Finish so there's that part of you that thinks instantly this is a goal because he can't miss this you know he's too close to miss this and then again in a split second you see the direction of the ball and you have that sinking feeling of this is somehow going past the post, which it did. I mean, I think that the one thing in that move that jumped out to me was Gilhart with the ball through. And OK, it, it kind of took a flick off Coventry player, but it was the right pass doing what he used to do at his best, you know, of creating a bit of havoc and, and of knowing the pass to pick from, from that area. And it makes you feel that if, if Gilhart was a little further forward in his development and if it hadn't all been stunted, you know, perhaps he would be more of an option in that zone, you know, behind your, your number nine in that kind of 10 pocket. Because interestingly, afterwards, Mark Robbins spoke specifically about that, um, the Coventry manager. He said that he, they'd, they'd analysed a lot the runs that Leeds make from that central area. And I think, you know, we we're talking about the, the sort of formulaic aspect of things. His message to the players seemed to be it's going to be extremely difficult to 
to track these runs because Leeds are very good and are very good players. And he said several times afterwards, look, you have to, everybody has to acknowledge that Leeds are an exceptionally good team because they, they genuinely are. But his message to his players seemed to be, if as a whole you can manage those runs and follow those runs and stop them from cutting us apart completely, then you'll get something from this game. And I have to say, actually, but for a side who I think look like mid-table and, and probably are going to be mid-table, I was sort of quite impressed with Coventry. I thought the organisation was good. I thought their game plan worked better for them than a lot of teams who've tried to employ a similar game plan at Ellen Road. They they held it together at 1-0 and I did think they looked quite dangerous. In, in isolated moments in the second half on the counter-attack, you did feel like it wasn't out of the question that there might be a, a second Coventry goal in there. It was feisty. You know, there were a lot of heavy tackles. They weren't scared to, to put their foot in. I know some people weren't particularly happy with that, but I have to be honest, I think you've got to do that at Ellen Road. You know, you've got to be combative. Otherwise, Leeds will just walk all over you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Do you think Leeds, and I, mentioned, I think I mentioned this on the match ball post-match on Saturday evening, do you think Leeds are a little bit slow sometimes to, to wake up to defensive situations? Because we spend so much time attacking and in so much time in control of games that they're not always 100% switched on when the opposition break on them. There is a little bit of that, although it was it was not a coincidence, I don't think, that after the changes came and Leeds went to that kind of front six or, or whatever it is, they were almost cut open straight away. And I think the reason for that is that they in that structure where they have three at the back and, and Ampadu in front, huge amounts of space. And so if a team get the run in you and have a bit of pace, and what Robbins did quite cleverly was pick a fairly defensive starting lineup, but then use his, his more dangerous attacking players off the bench later in the game. If a team have a bit of pace going forward, which Coventry do and did, then then they can cause you quite a lot of problems. I would think that one of the things annoying Farker is that the goals conceded, certainly last week, have not been great, have they, at all? Um, and I think particularly the Coventry goal. The, the, the header from Pritchard at Sunderland, it was one of those kind of 
instinctive things where he, I don't know how much he knew what he was doing with Bellingham in front of him and it worked out nicely for them and obviously nobody tracked Bellingham so that was a problem but it, it kind of it kind of played out nicely for Sunderland that moment. Coventry was a you know high cross into the box where you've got Melly on his line, you've got Stroik who's kind of lost the player in behind him, you've got Gray who can't cover quickly enough and it just looks massively, massively avoidable, which it was. But again, it, the game right from the start had been it had been close. It had been closely fought. I felt it had been competitive. Leeds had the better of it, had far more of the ball. But even in the first half, there was just a little bit of there was confidence. I thought in Coventry's play, and in the rare moments when they came forward, they looked like they were coming forward with intent, and that they'd actually quite fancied the occasion. And it developed into a really tough fixture. In your opinion, should Melier have come for that cross? No, I don't think so. Um, I think you, you're looking for your centre-backs, particularly strike, to to manage that that better. It was just a, a really, really cheap goal. And I think Farker would probably say, you know, when they score goals, take Somerville's at Blackburn, take Dan James at Blackburn, Somerville's again on, um, you know, on, on Saturday against Coventry. A lot of them are really well-crafted, require a, a lot of skill. You know, it does help from time to time if you can just bag the odd goal via free kick corner, you know, cross into the box if somebody nods in. Um, and I'm not saying that Leeds have never had those goals this season because they have, but it's not the bread and butter for them. That's not generally how they score. Do you think Leeds deserve to win that on Saturday? I think they should have won it because of that late chance. I think they had more of the play, but you tell me if you disagree. I came away thinking probably wasn't a, an unfair result that one in the way that I didn't think the defeat of Sunderland was un, unfair either you know it's been a bad week in that sense or it's been a, a, a poor week but just to, to say it again you're bound to have them and it is a fairly thankless situation where the table makes you feel that you've got to win every fixture you know me saying Ipswich might actually have come out of that derby with Norwich saying that could have been worse Leeds just don't have the luxury of saying that unless they're saying to themselves look it's going to be the playoffs rather than the top two yeah I thought the game generally just followed the pattern that so many of the home games have done this season where we're, we're superior to the opposition. But on this occasion, we just couldn't make it tell, could we? We didn't take our chances. And, and when you actually stack it up and look at the chances like Dan James had, it should have been one with a chance, that clear cut. That yeah. And then Rodon's header as well should have gone in. Yeah, yeah. Another really good chance. He was at full stretch for that Rodon. It wasn't yeah. quite the sort of setter that, that James has seemed to be. But again, even with, with Dan James... You're talking about somebody who has chipped in with a lot of goals, a lot of assists this season. It's hard to pick fault with with his form generally. And I think that's true of a lot of the players who who Farker likes to pick and, and likes to stick with. And I, I do understand his loyalty to them. They've been very good for him. And this team has picked itself for a long, a long period now. But and I, I don't think this is even just with hindsight, because we kind of said it before commentary. Last week did feel like a week where you wanted to see Nonto come up with something or Anthony come up with something or Bamford produce a goal. I mean, I was having a look at Bamford. He hasn't scored in a league win for Leeds since May 2021. I mean, it's such a long time ago and it can't all rest on, even though you've got, particularly in, on an attacking front, you've got a group of players who've contributed massively this season from Piro to Ruter to, you know, Somerville and, and James, but you always need it to come from elsewhere. There are always points in a season where you need players who haven't been that involved to suddenly step up the reaction to this has been fairly typical in the sense that it's, again, as we were saying in the in the last uh, week or so in the wake of the, the Sunderland game, it's disproportionate and it gets into you know yeah. ba- baby and bathwater territory again. Yeah. It's the table. That's, Pir- that's what it is. You know, you know Piro needs to drop in. Kamara needs to drop in. Archie Gray needs to put in the midfield. Spencer right back, sign a left back. It's kind of, we're looking for these kind of catch-all uh, fixes for, for what people have 
perceived to have gone wrong. And, and you know, it's, it's not within our gift to tell anybody how they should react to um, no, a defeat or, no. or how they express it. But what do you think Leeds fans need to take out of this last week? And, and the state of the season as a whole, I guess, Phil? Nobody knows if Ipswich and Leicester can be caught, can they? I think that is the that is the overriding problem here, is that in your head, you can't decide whether or not the gap is too big to be, re, you know, for anybody to realistically overhaul it. But at the same time, you don't want to tell yourself that it can't be done either. And when you think about how many games are left and how many points are there to be won and, and how, you know, how rapidly tables do change when a team hits a poor run of form, there's that naturally optimistic part of you that thinks, well, anything is possible. And it's not as if, it's not as if leads are so far back that they're completely adrift. But as I say, going through October, November, you, you're looking at the gap and thinking that's that's pretty big. Then you get into December, getting closer to, to January, and there does come a point at which if you're going to start cutting it down, you've got to start cutting it down. You know, you can't just keep saying if X and Y happens, then Z. You know, it, it just, it, that, that, because psychologically, the longer that Leicester and Ipswich hold this sort of advantage, the better it is for them, the more pressure it puts on on Leeds. And I think you saw that on Saturday in the, in the reaction that, People know that if they're being fair, there isn't a whole lot of criticism that they can aim at Farker and the players. And if this was, and repeat myself constantly here, but if it was a sort of more typical or average season, you could probably suck up results like those last week and say, well, everybody's going to have a bad patch at, at some point. But it comes it becomes harder to be philosophical about it when you're looking at the table and thinking, yeah, but we, we just can't afford that unless we are going to going to settle for the playoffs. And you know, you do find this with Leeds. Nobody wants to be told that the club has limits, you know, that has upper limits. And I, I totally, totally understand that. And especially nobody wants to be told that in, in December, which I think is why when Farker came out afterwards on Saturday, he wasn't going to sit and say to people, you know, you need to be really upbeat about this. This is great. He did say, I want the players to think about the disappointment today because that's the thing that matters. It's true though, isn't it? If you're going to be more level-headed and calm about it to say that Leeds had to had started to close the gap and it could have been wider than it is right now and it's possibly just a little bump in the road and the opportunity presents itself this coming weekend in the yeah. form of Ipswich coming to Ellen Road to, to narrow that gap again and, and we will preview that game towards the back end of the week, we should say. It's a mega game, isn't it? Um, but it feels as if it a, a little bit the air's gone out of it because of, of what happened at the weekend. I don't think it'll be like that when it gets going. And again, this is an absolutely prime opportunity for Leeds. But it's become a game they have to win, hasn't it? You know, a draw is a good result for Ipswich. It's not a particularly good result for Leeds. I think Farkas' perspective on this, and, and you mentioned a few times, you know, baby with the bathwater, will be that whatever happens and however the table looks, they have to stick to the programme. They've got to stick to what people tend to call the process these days of of doing what's worked for them, of, of, of going with his philosophy, given that it has been good so far and it, and it has it has figured out. But there's no doubt at all that in, in order for people to feel absolutely alive about this season, it needs to avoid being a campaign where from an early point you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, it's going to be playoffs here, isn't it? Some of the more um, emotive criticism has uh, leaned towards suggesting that Farkas football is too slow. There's no plan B. What do you think to that reaction? I wouldn't have said there is a particularly vast plan B, although he would probably say that plan B is what happens towards the end of the, the game, you know, where you the pitch is loaded up with attacking players. They, they go light in defence and they, and they hope that, that that makes it happen for them. I'm not totally convinced by that strategy, and I, and I did write about it after Sunderland because, again, having seen it there, I sort of I was asking myself: Is is this 
more likely to work than not? Um, is it strategic? What what what's kind of behind it? But again, there are actually a lot of coaches out there, a lot of very good coaches and a lot of very good teams who don't lean too heavily on plan B either. One over at Eastlands in, in particular. And Bielsa's team were never fabled for, for plan B. I mean, he was he, he was anti-plan B to an extent that I've never really seen with a coach ever, you know, and just that absolute commitment to his strategy and, and his plan. And I guess the the devotion and and I have to say as well, you very sort of admirable attitude of if this doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But it's the way I see it and it's the way I think we should play. You know, as my job as head coach, and I'll take the consequences if if it doesn't. I think Farker feels pretty content and happy with the way Leeds are playing. And you can see why, because the, the results are good. But, you know, go back to it. I, I understand why the results don't look so good when you've got the top two so far ahead of you. It's amazing what a couple of bad results in a week can do in terms of anxiety around the transfer market. And I'm aware we're sort of two weeks out now from, from the start of January and the whole cycle is going to start again, isn't it? But genuinely, what would you do? Sign a left the- back. Just sign a left back. Absolutely, sign a left back. I think that has to that has to be done. On that now, no excuses because I know they thought that between Furpo and Byram and the ability of other players such as let's say Shackleton or whatever to cover the, that position, we saw Spence there on the left at, at the weekend. I can, and I can ask you about that actually as well um, in just a second. But it's quite clearly it's not quite enough, is it? It's not quite enough. We need somebody in there who is either fit, reliable, whatever it might be. Just find a way to do that. Please just sign a left back. And as you've you've been banging the drum for a number ten as well, Phil, I, I agree. Just maybe that that one extra body in there who could perhaps help to unlock things. Difficult position to fill as well, particularly it at is, this stage. I'm, I'm mindful of that. I think I'm a bit more realistic about number ten in the sense of, of appreciating that it's not easy to go out and get good players like that. And whereas at left back, and I'm not saying it's easy to get left good left backs because we've seen over the years at Leeds that they seem to have been capable of signing good left backs more more often than not. But that is a position they they need to cover. I think, to be fair to Byron, he, he's ticked the boxes of fit and reliable mostly this season. But you always knew that in the background there was the the threat of him breaking down because he he has had major injury problems. If you read the interview we did with him, he's very frank about it. You know, he says in the summer he was basically asking somebody to take uh, to use his words to take a chance on on someone with a very poor injury record, which which he he has. But when he's played, he's he's been excellent and comfortably first choice left back. I think the bigger warning signal has been Furpo's lack of fitness combined with the you know the doubts we all have about whether Furpo is, is good enough for that position anyway. It's not as if Farker has had two left backs going at it hammer and tongs where he's had to make a conscious choice. You know, it's been Byram's position. So yeah, I think that that needs to needs to be covered. But I still stand by what I've said previously, which is that I don't see how there can be vast recruitment for this squad because you're not talking about weaknesses in many areas. You're not talking about a shortage of numbers in many areas. And I think in order to make additions in quite a few positions, you would have to lose players on the basis that you'd have too many too many to use. So left back, certainly, I think a bit of create, you know, I guess a variety or more resource when it comes to creativity in that 10 pocket and would be valuable. And perhaps, you know, Perhaps there's something to to be said or, or to be taken from Robin's comments on um, on Saturday that having looked at that area specifically, he clearly felt as a coach and somebody analysing Leeds that that's where it's all going on, you know, and that is where it's critical. If it works for Leeds there, then it then they will get points. So perhaps for Farker, that would be helpful. What do you make of Spence on the left? There were occasions when 
you felt, or do you agree, that he wasn't quite 100% about going down the line and taking on the man because it was his unnatural side and he tended to either you know, cut back or perhaps drop a pass back into the uh, the midfielder who would come across to to sit in behind him. But I, I thought he was pretty lively. He is lively and I think he, you know, the, the points where he was helping to put pressure on by by overlapping and, 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 and making Coventry track him, I just think that in the grand scheme, you will get more out of Spence on the right. It, it almost goes without saying. And I do wonder, you know, the centre of midfield, whether there is going to come a time where it would make sense to shuffle that up a little bit again and, and perhaps move Gray back in there. I mean, one thing you'd have to say with Kamara and Ampadu is that there isn't a huge amount of goal threat from those two. Whereas Gray, I would suggest, is certainly to judge by you know his, his youth youth team performances, is more of a goal threat, I think, than, than either of those two. And it's not to say you get a vast number of goals from him, but he is a creative player. He does score. So perhaps you would get a little bit more out there. But again, I can't pretend that Ampadu and Kamara haven't been good this season because they, they really have. This has just been a flat week. And the chance to remedy it is coming up this weekend. That's the important thing to say. So as uh, as Farker has pointed out to his players, you know, wallowing it a little bit this week and then we'll we'll go again at the weekend. And, you know, let's be mindful that a win against Ipswich is going to completely transform the narrative again, isn't it? So it's, it's important not to dwell on these things too much. This feels absolutely crucial. I think this game and then Ipswich against Leicester immediately after, if it's not looking good after that little flurry of games, then I think the, the realist in you is going to say, maybe it's not happening this. But that is, a, that is a window in which it could significantly turn around. And I think Farker will know that it has to. Fingers crossed, Phil. Well, we'll look ahead to the Ipswich game. It's going to be a good one. Um, the final show before Christmas. We'll do that towards the back end of, um, of this week. So we'll catch up then, yeah? Yeah, thank you. We'll see you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. 